0: Across the plethora of Star Trek series writers have created astounding worlds and with them unique aliens, some of which we have seen again and again. A few of those have been milked to eternity and back and there are others who like a flickering light, burned bright for 45 minutes and then were never seen again. Star Trek's self-contained episodic nature across its shows from 1966 to 2005 provides the best chance to analyse these races. The later Alex Kurtzman era shows tend to approach arcs and connected with them recurring characters by no means is this a final set more aliens that offered plenty of scope but fell to the curb too early i'm Dan blaze and for trek culture let's take a good look at some of the more prominent one episode creations number 10 the voth One of Voyager's best alien creations and a sci-fi cheese classic if you read the synopsis as dinosaurs in space, the Voth feature in the episode Distant Origin. Well, the opening 15 minutes are devoid of the principal cast, the audience instead follows Dr. Gagan as he explores the Distant Origin theory that the Voth were not originally from the Delta Quadrant but somewhere else entirely. Spoiler alert, it's Earth. In a revolutionary move for Star Trek to leave an episode in the hands of its guest cast, it thoroughly establishes the race, their background and significance of humanity in relation to them. While echoing Galileo's trial at which he argued the Earth revolved around the Sun, Distant Origin goes much further. The concept of a super advanced civilization flying city-sized ships makes for compulsory watching. So. Tie this in with the trial of their own scientist for his proven findings and you have a Voyager classic. The revelation that they were from a far part of the galaxy could have disrupted their society inexplicably, especially when explained they were DNA relations to the lesser humans. The story has been continued like the Vardois on Star Trek Online, engaging the Voth as a serious Delta Quadrant threat. At number nine, it's the vaudoir. and I'll be very impressed if you can spell it without checking. If the Swarm were a big bad threat that failed miserably through a broken setup, the vaudoir, with a breath of fresh air they should have been for Voyager. Risen from their ancient slumber, this ancient Delta Quadrant race is set free by Voyager, and their return to dominance seems to be set in motion. There are some of the strongest CG sequences of the series on show in this episode, Voyager Grounded, and a mesmerized escape sequence through the crumbling Vardwa city being just two. Dragon's Teeth teased the potential awakening of a powerful civilization and one that remembered the Borg as nothing more than a minor annoyance. The way in which the audience is introduced to them as they go into stasis at the opening of the show, coupled with Neelix's own memories that Vardwa means foolish, helped them to create a rounded picture of these aliens in only a short time. While they initially seem submissive it becomes evident that that is not the case. To see the war in action again would have been incredible, especially if fans could have experienced the rebuilding of their empire or could have got a hint of what it became in Star Trek Discovery, perhaps even seeing them at full strength. So for number eight, let's have a look at the Krenim. Now, I don't want to go all wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, but can we class this as one entry or do the Krenim technically turn up multiple times? Well, episode wise, it is a double header, but a single story, the landmark year of hell. The Krenim had of course been mentioned in season 3's before and after, with one of their ships being seen, but we didn't get to see a member of their race, as we do here. Kurtwood Smith's Anorax is one of Trek's quintessentially flawed opponents, and I don't say villain, since his mindset is not one of destruction, but restructuring to a better time, one where his wife is alive, and the Krenim Imperium is back in a healthy state of expansion. The Krenim themselves gave fans the opportunity to see a race evolve, Step back, turn around and move forward over just two hours. We saw multiple stages of their expansion and collapse, all thanks to Anorax's interference. Their weaponry was stunning, utilising temporal abilities, of course, against which Voyager struggled to defend. Having them back might have seemed a weak option since the thing that gave them their unique angle in the show, the ship, was obliterated thanks to Janeway's careful driving. For number seven it's the skagarans enterprise tended to stick close to klingons romulans vulcans and dorians and zindi across its four seasons hidden amongst them though were some standout solo appearances for an occasional alien and one of the few were north stars subservient skags offering a similar premise to the voyager episode the 37s we had humans abducted from earth who then rebelled against their captors In that instance the Wardens fled, but here they switched hierarchical positions with the humans and this in turn led to a continuation of the ancient West lifestyle with added alien influence. I could have selected one of the races from a piece of the action, Patterns of Force or Miri, but an episode that really encapsulated Gene Roddenberry's wagon train to the stars concept could not be avoided. The Skags are not the biggest makeup challenge of the show, but the concept of an alien race within a human-centric historic environment was a masterstroke. No other Star Trek series went with such a close visual fit to the original Roddenberry ethos. Plus, it dealt with the divisions in society that would have fitted so well in the frame of the original series. For number six, it is the Dowd and my personal favourite, Trelane. Q might have cornered the market when it comes to the omnipotent, but he wasn't the first and he certainly wasn't the last godlike entity in Star Trek. Through the original series especially, and the next generation, the audience would encounter super beings aplenty. The 1966 episode The Squire of Gothos cries out for a sequel. With a lively performance from William Campbell as Trelane, he would prove a worthy opponent for Kirk. The first of two roles Campbell would take in the franchise, the second of course being Koloff, his powers weren't all he made them out to be. However, that has not dampened the suggestion that Trelane was a Q, but only in non-canon materials. And if you're a reader, I thoroughly recommend Peter David's book Q Squared. It remains one of my favourites. But of course, after Q and the Lady Q produced Little Q to end the Continuum Civil War in Voyager's episode The Q and the Grey, Trelane's immaturity could well be because he is the offspring of another Q coupling. And because time and space hold no boundaries, for them he could well cross paths with the original series crew and perhaps his easy defeat by Kirk meant he was kept home while the other queue were allowed to go out and play across time and space. In a similar vein, the Dowd, Kevin Uxbridge also made a fleeting appearance in The Next Generation. He managed to wipe out not just a ship full of Husnock, but their entire race in a fit of rage. In a very Kirk-like move, Picard left him to wallow in his remorse and never went back to check if he was okay. But who's to say that Kevin stuck around with the recreation of his wife and their stunning home? Number 5. The Conspiracy Aliens How can you discuss one-shot aliens without probably the biggest missed opportunity of them all? The creatures from the next generation's first season instalment, Conspiracy, confirmed that the show could deliver quality and danger in one satisfying package. Conspiracy depicted the first big internal threat to Starfleet and the Federation of this era, and contains some genuinely chilling moments. Lunch is a bit more lively than Riker and Picard were expecting for one, and there's a graphic exploding Dexter Remick under intense phaser fire after he's chewed up a stop-motion bug. Even with that, these aliens mark a big step away from what fans of Kirk, Spock and McCoy might have expected and tested the water for other threats on the horizon. The penultimate episode of the first season even ends with a signal sent out into the depths of space, teasing that we might see them again. Non-canon works have since speculated that the aliens featured were an evil offshoot of the Trill, since they seem to inhabit bipeds in a similar way, but this has never been borne out on screen. Good theory though. For number four, let's cut up with the Kazinti. Mentioned in the Picard episode Nepenthe, the Kazinti have passed into Star Trek lore thanks to their one and only appearance in the animated series The Slaver Weapon. Their striking pink outfits were a key part of the lasting endearment with fans in an encounter that was without Kirk for the first time ever. The Kazinti were a product of opportunities that could be done with animation back in the 1970s but were not possible in live action. Today both are more feasible and could lead to a return of this popular feline alien race. For a group that was only ever in one episode of the animated series they clearly struck a chord with fans however their background is still quite unclear leaving a lot of open ground for future writers. In comparison to humanity their timeline is somewhat messy with First Contact's warp flight causing all sorts of issues in relation to their apparent war with pre-warp humanity. Interestingly though this War is the reason that the Kazinti are not allowed to possess weapons. Although Riker's concerns, enough to raise the household shields, suggest otherwise. In at three, the Niberians. The Niberians are a fairly primitive pre-warp civilization, distinctive for their white, plaster-like skin and dark eyes. They're not yet ready for first contact and are portrayed as having a strong religious belief system at the core of their society. But hey, not that Kirk is bothered with that when it comes to saving their populace from an imminent and brutal volcanic eruption. The chase through the red foliage with spears and arrows whistling past Kirk and McCoy made this a very memorable and a highlight of the film that divides opinion. To be truthful, it was quite the experience in 3D, and I went to watch this on opening weekend at the IMAX and genuinely dodged one of those arrows. The introduction of the Niberians gave the second reboot movie a cold open, very much in keeping with a regular episode. It would have been interesting to see them again in Beyond, perhaps having developed Developed their beliefs more around the enterprise that they unfortunately witness rising from the ocean. Number two, it's the horter. This is one of the great classic creature designs from the original series, and in essence, is just a bloke lying on a board with wheels covered in foam. Amazing, but don't let that put you off because this silicon-based life form was the first serious non-humanoid alien Star Trek attempted for an era without the wonders of CG. This was a big step forward in imagination. Both the Gorn and the Tholians would receive upgrades from the visual artists on Enterprise, but the Horta would not be as fortunate. This was as high concept and alien as 1960s TV budgets could allow, and still expressed everything that Star Trek was about. She added herself ably to a list of misunderstood creatures that ultimately weren't as evil and obsessed with killing as the story suggested. While the Horta never turned up again in an episode of the show, it has been utilised in Star Trek novels as a crew member on at least two occasions the uss darwin in dyson sphere and more recently the uss titan in taking wing and at number one the swarm built as a potential new big bad for voyager the swarm offered up all the mystery and danger that an audience would want from a brand spanking new race their ships attacked en masse forcing voyager to flee or face certain defeat now this was something viewers would see again, but with more destructive power through Kroll's fighters in Star Trek Beyond. The swarm could well have taken prime spot in the list of enemies Voyager encountered in the Delta Quadrant, but they were left swiftly in its wake, offering a silent, menacing opponent to Voyager, their malevolence seemed to be the signal that difficulties lay ahead and preempted that not every enemy would be a cakewalk to overcome. One of the issues with these guys has to be their mysterious, dangerous nature, with a legend that says ships entering their territory mysteriously disappear. The attack on Voyager is well coordinated and quickly disrupts the ship's shields. This suggests advanced tech that could pose even more challenges in the future, and although the crew barely escape, it's the threat that's cleverly left out there. Unfortunately, the Borg would arrive later in the season and fill that precise same role more effectively. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm.